Uh, again, I so appreciate that. I, I joked with the, the team this morning, I've been Colton reduced for three months. I haven't had any Colton on the drums. Oh, boy, I need more cowbell. I mean, I need more Colton in my life. So I'm just thankful that all of them are here and all of them are serving. So we're good. I'm going to let them go. They're actually going to tear down all their equipment and have to haul it outside. And I'm going to keep preaching like it's not happening. And hopefully if you hear something, you'll just forgive that uh, as we're trying to accommodate both services this morning. But we're so glad that you're here. I'd like to go through the uh, theme for this series that we're starting. You might see this shirt. I don't usually wear just a t-shirt on a Sunday, but love, L-O-V-E. And I've got shirts for everybody. We're selling them here at the church just for $5. We're asking you to cover half the cost. I'm going to raise the funds to cover the other half of the cost of those shirts. But for $5, you can get a shirt. And I'm going to tell you what we're going to do with those. There's a reason we're going to have these shirts. And I'm excited about that. But love comes to town. Oh, love comes to town. I'll be sharing you the theme song for this. It's an actual YouTube and and BB uh, uh, King song. It's when love comes to town. It's an awesome song, and we're going to be talking about how Jesus came to town with His love, and how we must not sit in our seats, but we got to hit the streets with love. Love's got to come to town. And that's what we're going to be speaking on this summer. And I know you might be saying, PD, you talk about love all the time. Didn't you just talk about love in 1 John? Yeah. So let me tell you why we're doing that. We're doing a whole series on love because when you think about it, oh, Dionne Warwick would say, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. And she's right. What this world needs right now is love. But the problem is the world doesn't know what the definition of love truly is. They're lost and confused. It's the church. It's the ones who know God that have Jesus in our hearts that understand what true love is and how that can be shown in in hard times. When you look at our world right now, you see division. There is racism. There is war. There is so much animosity right now in our world that as a pastor, I felt compelled to preach from the Word of God the answer. And the answer is love. I don't need to stand up today and tell you that racism is wrong. If you don't believe racism is wrong, we've got nowhere to start. It does no good for me to stand up and just say, racism is wrong. I need to get up and preach what the Bible says about love. If you aren't practicing love as a Christian for all people, then you're missing the boat and you're part of the problem. So we're going to preach what the Bible says about love. And we have these great shirts. Uh, You can wear them on Sundays when you come or wear them out in the community. It doesn't matter. We did not put the name of the church on this. This is not an Oakwood flag. I don't want this to be a, uh, I'm, I'm Oakwood, I'm promoting Oakwood. Our name's not on the back. It just... L-O-V-E. And if anybody asks, tell them about Jesus. If Oakwood comes up, it ought to be way last. It's about love, serving Jesus out of that heart of love. And what's it all heading to? It's all heading to love week. I'm going to challenge our church to do something. Again, it's not enough just to talk about love. We got to get out of our seats and we got to get out into those streets. And so the last week of July, we'll finish up this series on the last Sunday in July. And that last week, it's love week. And we're going to encourage you to get out and do something that's loving. 
I'll be leading you toward that, but I want you to be dreaming about it right now. I would love it if our small groups decided they were going to do something together. If you're not in a small group, get in one. But if you haven't got one, gather some people from Oakwood and say, hey, we're thinking about doing this in our town. Would you join us? I'd like to see people going out from the church on their own. We're not going to design this for you. It'd be easy if I came and said, here's our project. That would be an SOS project. This is not an SOS project. I'm talking about a love week project that you have to determine what would be something that would make a difference in somebody's life around you and in our community. You got to dream it up. Then you got to follow through and you've got to make it happen. And then we'll come back together that next Sunday and we'll celebrate love week. We'll hear your stories. So you've got two months. That's pretty good. You've got two months to be dreaming about what you're going to be involved in. Maybe it's just your family. You're just going to get together and do something. I'm going to be challenging you to wear these shirts when you go out and do that. And we're going to be showing this world love is what God did for us. That's where we're headed for. Why don't we pray and then I'll give you the big idea and we'll move on with the message this morning. Let's pray together. Would you say this prayer? God, if there's anything you want me to hear this morning, I'm willing to listen. Just calm your heart and give God that prayer. God, if there's anything you want me to hear this morning, I'm willing to listen. And God, may you be glorified. May everyone hearing this message be edified. And may Satan be horrified in Jesus' name. Amen. Love comes to town. The big idea? Go ahead and ask me, what's the big idea? Love is everything and better than nothing. You're going to understand that when we read 1 Corinthians today. Love is everything. It's better than nothing. And we're going to talk about that. But we've got to start with the idea of defining love. Now, about 19 couples at Oakwood had the privilege of going through a marriage series. Pastor Shane and Carrie uh, took us through that, and I really appreciate that effort. Uh, he, he had four different meetings happening during the week, and Paul Tripp was the, the video that we watched together. The, this man talked about marriage. He talked about love. And Paul gave a definition for love that I liked, but I thought it was really clunky and a little wordy. And so I worked on it, hammered it out some, wordsmithed it a little bit. So I'm going to give Paul Tripp credit, but it's PD refined, okay? Defining love. Love is, everybody say that with me. Love is selfless, willing, sacrifice. You can stop right there. That in itself is really the definition of what true biblical love is, those three words. Selfless. Remember I preached that the opposite of love is not hate? The opposite of love is selfishness. So we got to start our definition with love with selfless. Willing. Love is willing. Love wants to give. That's why we love John 3, 16. For God so loved that he gave. Paul Tripp said that in that video we were just talking about for the marriage series. He said that, that God defines love. He is love. And in that famous verse, John three sixteen, it just says it so clearly, for God so loved that he gave. See, love is selfless and it's willing and it's a sacrifice. Oh, if you think If you think love is all about you and fulfilling your needs, you're never going to understand true love. Love is about sacrifice. Selfless, willing sacrifice for the good of another person, even when that person is not deserving 
and without expecting anything in return. That's a good definition of love. Like I said, I hammered it out from Paul Tripp's definition. I give him credit for it. But it's selfless, willing sacrifice for the good of another person, even when that person is not deserving, and without expecting anything in return. Let me just ask you this question this morning. Complete this sentence, would you? Think about it in your head. Complete this sentence. My number one goal in life is blank. What's your number one goal in life? What are you living for right now? Maybe some of you wrote down or thought about the word happy, happiness. I know parents quite often say that when they're asked, what do you want for your kids? Well, we just want them to be happy. Really? Is that the number one goal? Happy? Maybe it's to be married. Maybe some of you are like, I just want to get married. We've had some young people get married here at Oakland. It's exciting to see these young couples. And Maybe that's the number one goal for your life right now. Maybe some of you would write down the word retired. I just want to get retired. I want to get to the point where I don't have to go into work anymore. I just, that's what I'm living for. That's my number one goal. Well, maybe that's, none of those are yours. What would yours be? There's a blank there. You fill it in. What is your number one goal in life? Well, that's called your DLP. That's your dominant life principle. And this is important because your dominant life principle determines what you do. It really says everything about our, everything you do is going to flow from this DLP or dominant life principle. Maybe your answer is fun. I live for fun. Well, you will choose to do what's fun. Maybe it's money. Money is my thing, my goal, my happiness. Well, then you're going to choose to do whatever makes you money. That's why you got conflicting things. I got a family. I've got children. I, I know I need to spend time with them, but you know what? I'm loving them because I'm making more money. I got to get more money. And so you make choices. And whatever you put on that line as your dominant life principle, that is what you'll choose to do. Maybe it's safety. Maybe for some of you, it's just, I just want to be careful. I just want to be safe. I don't want to take any risk. If that is what you're living for and that's your goal, then you're only going to do what brings you safety. Maybe it's approval. Maybe you live for approval. If that's what you're living for, then you're only going to do what makes other people pat you on the back or give you that applause. What's your dominant life principle? It says a lot about you, but I will tell you what the Bible says. The Bible tells you what your dominant life principle ought to be. If you're a child of God, here is your dominant life principle. It's found in 1 Corinthians 14.1. I'm doing this out of the New Living Translation. Let love be your highest goal. What is God saying? God is telling you, Christian, child of God, your dominant life principle ought to be love. Wow. Is that what we had put on our line? That's what I'm living for. That's my number one goal. We as children of God have to have that as our dominant life principle because God is love. 1 John 4, 8. 1 John 4, 8, it says, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. God is love. He doesn't just do loving things. He is love. And as his children, we must then love. It ought to be our dominant life principle. 
We know that that's what Jesus taught in Mark chapter 12, 30 and 31. The, they were out to trick him. They were out to throw a curveball. There was over 300 laws that the, the Jewish people had to do. They had to fulfill all these rules and requirements all the time. And the lawyers came and tried to trap him in front of all these different people. Oh, it's kind of like living in Corona and being a pastor. No matter what you say, somebody's going to yell at you for it. You can't have a, an opinion. That's why your pastor, by the way, I don't post things on Facebook about the race riots. I don't, I don't post things on Facebook about political things. Why? Because everybody comes after you. It's almost a, the sport of today is going after people. Whatever you say is wrong. And so I don't go there. But Jesus had the same situation. It wasn't on Twitter and it wasn't on Facebook. But in front of all these different sects, in front of all these different people that had different thoughts about life and rules, the lawyer said, Jesus, what's the number one commandment? What's the number one rule? They were trying to trick him. Typical lawyer thing. They were trying to throw a question out that no matter how he answered it, he was going to be in trouble. But of course, you can't trap Jesus. He knows all things. And he answered with scripture. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, body, and strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. I love how Jesus threw in a twofer. He got a twofer one out of that one. They ask him, what's the number one command? He throws out a twofer that's actually a onefer. It's, it's two answers that tell one thing, love. Everybody say love. Guys, this is what it's all about. That's why I'm not getting up and going to preach politics today. That's why I'm not going to get up and preach about racism today. Our world has problems. And as a pastor, I'm going to give you the best solution. God's solution. And we overlook it because it seems so simple. It's to live love. You cannot be racist and love. You cannot have a political view and hold it against other people in a mean and angry and, and spiteful way. If you love. Love is the thing that will bring us together. We're sick of hearing that. We're all in this together. Yeah, we're, we're really not all in this together. We're all fighting each other. We're all spitting and fighting and yelling and screaming. We're on Facebook and Twitter and we're hating. We're hating. The Bible says love. Love at all times. The greatest commandment is to love. And it's a twofer. Love God. And if you're going to love God with everything you've got, that's going to be played out by loving people. So we love God, love people. Hey, that's the center of the bullseye. Christian, do you want to hit the target? Do you want to hit God's mark in your life? Then do these things. Love God with everything you've got. And love people more than you love yourself. That's the center of God's mark. Matter of fact, there's another great verse. In 1 Corinthians 16, 14, 1 Corinthians 16, 14, it says, do everything in love. Do everything. You Twitter, in love. You Facebook, in love. You have political views, in love. You come to church or you stay home, in love. If you come to church, you respect those who want to wear a mask. Or you, you respect those who don't want to wear a mask. But we respect each other's space. Why? It's all love. It's all love. Do everything in love. 1 Corinthians 16, 14. What does that mean? I order my food at the drive-thru with love. Sometimes I drive through and they 
what? I, I don't understand. I just want, I just want, the, and you can't. No, do everything in love. Are you respectful of a human being at the drive-thru? What about taking your car to the dealership? I'm not saying this is a true story, but what if you drove your car to the dealership and you parked in front of one of those two bays and you walked all the way inside and, and said, I'm dropping my car off. And they said, where'd you park? And I said, in front of the door. And they said, you got to go back out and move it. You did it wrong. Oh, I'm the customer. You, you shouldn't be treating me like that. No, the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 16, 14, do everything in love. You order your food at the drive-thru in love. You talk to the person at the car dealership who treats you like garbage You treat them with love. We've got no escape. There is no escape clause in that. Yeah, but. Yeah, but. We all want a yeah, but. Yeah, but. They treat me like that. Yeah, but. I get No. Child of God. Your God is love. His children must love. Do everything with love. These are tight. These are clad. These are things you cannot ration your way out of, believer. Everything we do, we do in love. Oh, so you call FedEx because that box hasn't been here and it's a month now. And you call and you get put on hold. For, I'm not saying this happened. I'm just telling you that these things could have happened in somebody's life. You know, A half hour on hold? And then they tell you it's not their fault. They just, uh, they just can't bring you the box. Oh, do everything in love. Even though we're frustrated, do we treat the person on the phone as a real human being, a child of God that God loves? Do everything in love. But you might say, that's impossible. PD, that's impossible. I get frustrated and I need to let people know that they made me mad. I get frustrated. I need to let somebody know I think they're wrong on Facebook and their opinion stinks. PD, you don't understand. That's impossible. You're preaching the impossible. I know it's impossible. In our flesh, we cannot do this. But there's something true about us. Listen, something true about you and me. We were born bent. We were born bent and we're bent on selfishness. It's not perfect because sin entered the world. We're each and every one born with the sin problem. We're bent out of shape and it's bent toward selfishness. But when we become born again, when we say, God, please forgive me of my sin, come into my life as my Savior and Lord, the Bible teaches us that we become new creatures. I'll tell you what it means. You become unbent. God unbends you. He wants to straighten you out to make you right again. And that means we live love. That means we go opposite and toward our natural bent. Our natural bent is selfishness. And I need to get my way. And the minute we accept Christ as our Savior, God says, I'm making you a new person. I want to straighten that out. I want you to live a life that loves other people more than yourselves. And you're still saying, PD, that's impossible. I'm not very good at that, I know. That's why God went the extra mile. God said, you're a new creation. You're saved and secured. You're coming to heaven and you don't have any condemnation, praise the Lord. But while you live, you need to be more like Christ and I'm going to help you. Paul Tripp said it this way in the video series for our marriage sessions. Paul Tripp said, God knew that that was impossible. He knew that you were bent. And even though he made you new, your, your tendency is to be bent still. And so God did the unbelievable thing. He not only gave us Jesus, he comes and he unzips you and he inserts the Holy Spirit in you. He didn't leave you alone to do this. He gave us Christ and said, be like my son and I'm going to give you some help. 
boom. The power of God resides in you everywhere you go. You say it's impossible? Yes, in your own flesh, it's impossible to love, like the Bible says to love. But through God, we've been given everything we need for love and good works. He gave us his Holy Spirit. Christian, you should be prompted. You should be prompted in your heart to love at all times. I wish I knew this better many years ago. See, you, you at home to get to watch this, the people coming to the live service don't get to see any of this. They don't get any PowerPoint. So here's, here's a picture just for you folks at home. That is some beautiful people right there. That was 28 years ago. I took Julie as my wife. I'm going to admit I was young and selfish. Young and selfish. I wanted everything to be like I wanted it to be. And I'm sure it was difficult for her. Fast forward 28 years, there we are. And I'm old and selfish. (laughs) Oh, I I, I pray, and I, I mean that seriously. I pray that God's been working on me and that Holy Spirit that God inserted in me is helping me be less selfish than I was, but I recognize I haven't arrived yet. I love Julie with all my heart my soul, my mind, my strength. And I pray that each day I'm loving her like the definition we gave earlier. Real love is selfless, willing sacrifice for the good of another person, even when that person is not deserving and without expecting anything in return. Oh, 28 years. I don't know, am I any better at it today? I feel like I'm worse but because I feel like God's been moving in me. To not be selfish. So the, ten, the tendencies I have to be selfish, I see them now. God points them out to me and hopefully roots them out of me so I can be more like Christ in that relationship. Julie posted these two pictures on her anniversary a couple weeks ago. I posted a little reply. You're still hot and I'm still not. <laughs> she got the short end of the stick. Boy. Her patience and her example has been a good thing in my life. I had a friend once who preached on this. He gave the silliest illustration. I might have shared it a long time ago here at Oakwood. The silliest illustration about love. He talked about taking his wife to Taco Bell one night. They're on their way home and decided to get something fasty. They go inside and they go to the counter. And he said, I ordered what we, we usually get. And uh, it came with two large drinks. And he said, the, uh, the person put down two cups on the counter. Pow. But one of them had a bent rim. Just totally V'd on one side. And, and the husband's telling this story to the whole group of people. And he's like, I saw that bent lid on that one cup. And I thought, oh, that's going to be awful. No matter what we do, that one's going to leak. You know, you could put the lid on that, but it's not going to seal right. It's going to drip, and your hand's all going to get all sticky and syrupy. And so he's looking at those two cups, and immediately he thinks, I want the other cup. My wife, maybe. But he knew he couldn't. He knew that was just wrong. So his wife walked up. And he said, honey, here's your cup. And he just points to the cup to let her choose. And she looked at him and said, you know what I like. Would you get it for me while I go to the bathroom? Now he's got the decision again. She goes to the bathroom and he picks up two cups. And he's walking over to the fountain with two cups, one with a bent rim, one with a perfect rim. And he's thinking all the way there, well, what do I do? What am I going to put in each cup? 
And as he's given this illustration, he starts to cry. I remember sitting there thinking, this is the stupidest illustration I've ever heard, and this man's starting to weep. But then it dawned on me. As he looked at us and he said, I got all the way to the fountain, and I realized how selfish I am. Why would I hesitate for a moment to consider giving my wife something less than? He stopped and he prayed at Taco Bell for his own soul. God, help me. What's wrong with me? I remember this man just weeping on stage about a Taco Bell cup, and it profoundly impacted me. I started to think, oh Lord, how selfish am I sometimes? How selfish am I when I put my needs above my wife's? When I don't love her the way Scripture says I'm to love, oh, I pray that each of us would learn to love like God loves. He gave everything. I want to walk you through this chart. How deep is your love? By the way, every one of these is a song title. How deep is your love? It's going to be a fun series for me because there's a lot of love songs out there. How deep is your love? I want you to rate your relationships. On that little, there's nothing there you have in front of you, but it just kind of put a circle around a number. One being poor, ten being great. How deep is your love when it comes to your relationship with your, your parents? Maybe some of you don't have parents living anymore, but for those of us who do, how's that relationship with your folks? Just, just rate it. Don't, don't give too much thought. Just put, put a circle there. How about your spouse? Where would you say your relationship is with your spouse? With the definition of love in mind, a selfless, willing sacrifice. How about your children? How's your relationship with your children? Poor, all the way to great? How about a relative? Is there somebody in your life that you would just say, you know, this person, where would I put this person on this line? How about a coworker? Somebody you work with? How's that relationship? Rate that. How about a neighbor? Do you know your neighbors? How's your relationship with your neighbors? Scale of one to ten. You know, how about that difficult person? And, and maybe one of those people on that list is your difficult person. And, and if you're listening, to, don't point. It's not time to point and point them out. I can't see you anyway, so don't, don't point in the living room, okay? Uh, maybe the difficult person sitting in the room with you. Well, how deep is your love? Again, our definition is loving even though that person might not be deserving and not expecting anything in return. Those are two important components of our definition of love. It's selfless, willing sacrifice, but it's not dependent on them earning that love. That's that's not real love. And it's not dependent on you getting something in return. Rate that. And and I want to tell you that there's hope. This morning, what I want to say is we've got six weeks to go through this. So I'm going to do three weeks, and then I'm going to take a vacation. Shane's going to preach for two weeks. Then I'm going to come back and finish up this series, a three-week ending. Then we do our love week. In six weeks, eight total, I believe God can change some of those relationships. I believe you can go from two or three up to six or seven. Or maybe it's just going to be from a three to a four. But I believe if you're a child of God and the Holy Spirit resides in you and you decide and determine in your heart that the definition of love is how you choose to live, then you will make progress. You will make progress. Not trying harder, but trusting God more. Trust God more with these relationships and love the way he calls us to love. Well, let me get to 1 Corinthians 13. Let me read the first 
three verses, 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have to get the prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have a faith that can move mountains and do not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. What is God teaching us in 1 Corinthians 13 before he gives us the the famous love passage? He's telling us that without love, What's life like without love? Like, I got this little thing here I brought. Is that in camera there, Bruce? Are we good? You know what this is, don't you? It's a gong. How many of you grew up watching the gong show? Remember the gong show? It's like a talent show, and, and some of the people there really had some good talent. But then you got some people who are, who are juggling and uh, uh, their dogs are riding bicycles or, or unicycles. I don't know. It's just crazy stuff. And it's really bad. And these judges are there. And, and everybody's got to get, get points. One to ten. Is it a ten or, or is it an eight? And then there's some acts that are so bad. They're just so awful that there's a decision made to give no points. It's worth nothing. The competition ends. They don't need to get to finish their song. It's so bad that it's... Gonged. It gets gonged. And when it gets gonged, it means it's nothing. It's nothing. It's worthless. Did you hear what God taught in 1 Corinthians 13? If I speak in the tongue of men and angels but do not have love, I am a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. What does he mean by that? I'll tell you what he means. That's annoying. It's just annoying. You know what? We're going to be judged someday by every act that we've done in this life. Wouldn't it be awful to get to heaven and say, God, I did great things. Oh, I was a great orator for years. I could speak in tongues of angels. But if I get there and tell God that and I had no love, you know what God's going to do? Oh, Don Jackson, let's take a look at your life. Oh, yeah, yeah. Wouldn't that be awful? Wouldn't that be awful to spend your whole life thinking you're quite something, but you didn't do it in love, and you didn't love like God says. Love is everything, and everything you do, love. God is love. We've been told over and over again in Scripture that the number one rule, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, body, and strength, and the second is like it. Love others. And we get to heaven and say, yeah, 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 they have that love thing. But I did this, and I was really good here, and I really was spiritual. And God says, oh, yeah, yeah, thank you. Nothing nothing that's worthless i would hate to experience that the writer goes on to say not only are you resounding gong and a changing clanging symbol it's it's just zero he goes on to say if i have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and have all knowledge and i have faith that can move mountains but i do not have love i am nothing God says you're nothing without love. You can have all sorts of degrees in theology. You can be smart spiritually. You can have all sorts of knowledge and a faith to move mountains. Which is funny because he says that faith of a mustard seed could move a mountain. So you can be all proud of your faith and your knowledge, but if you don't have love, goose egg. Nothing. And then he says, if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. God is saying, 
All that we do here is going to be judged on this. Everything you do can just be an annoying, loud bang on a gong. It can be nothing, and it can gain you nothing without love. Without love. It goes on to read this. Let's do it slowly. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they'll cease. Where there are tongues, they'll be stilled. Where there's knowledge, it'll pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put away the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am known fully. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. We lead the way. The church has to lead the way. We have the message We have the gospel as an illustration of love. We have the Holy Spirit put inside of us. We have an opportunity to be the opposite of racism. We have the opportunity to be thoughtful, to be nuanced, (laughs) to be balanced, but always to be love. I don't want to be judged as a noisy gong. I don't want to be judged as zero. And I don't want to get nothing out of this life. A few weeks ago, I was honored to do the service for Frida Summers Smith. Frida is my wife's grandma. She was an incredible, incredible person. There was nothing anybody could ever say bad about Frida. Literally, everybody loved this woman. I know when we eulogize, we tend to eulogize, and we uh, some people would often be skeptical and say, "Well, you're just saying that because they're gone now." No, no. With Frida, it was true. Everything we said was true. Not a one thing you could say negative about Frida. Toward the end, she she had some uh, memory issues. Even then, it was great. I remember being a Frida and. And uh, I would watch her. We were sitting around uh, the couch, and she'd always, uh, the, her kids were wonderful to her all the way through the end. And, and uh, my mother in law, Diane, would always make sure she had a good diet of chocolate. She loved chocolates. And I remember Frida looking at me, and she said, uh, I don't drink and I don't smoke, I eat chocolate. That's what she would say. She ate chocolate. And then she'd look at me, and she'd say, But I only eat two pieces. I only eat two pieces every day. And I'd watch Frida take her two pieces. She'd look through and pick two pieces of chocolate. And then she'd sit there and watch TV and she'd eat them. And she'd eat both of those two chocolates. 
And about five minutes later, she said, you know what? I don't smoke and I don't drink. I eat chocolate, but I only eat two every day. And she'd grab two more chocolates. And I thought, I better, I better tell her she are. And I thought, no, it doesn't matter. She's 99 years old. Let her eat chocolate. She's the only person I've ever seen that went from 90 to 99 and she gained weight because she ate chocolate more than she ever knew at the time. Oh, I love Frida. She was a hoot all the time. At her funeral, I asked the family, what's the one word you'd say about Frida? They said selfless. Some said kind. And then the word love came up, and it said it all. Love. You see, at the end of life, no one asked, could you please bring me my bank statements so I can look at them one more time? At the end of life, nobody says, can you just, can you bring my diplomas so I can see them one more time? Can you bring me my mortgage so I can see the mortgage from my house just one more time? Nobody asks for those things. Everybody wants people. They want people around them that love them. The answer to all of our problems in this world today is God's answer. Love God. Love people. That's the center of the bullseye. I'm going to pray for you this week that God will make you think about this in your response to racism. That you wouldn't be quick to speak, but you'd be quick to listen. Be slow to speak. Learn a little bit. Learn a little bit. Any of our political issues that we're struggling with, an upcoming election. Love. Love. You can have your opinion, but love. That's my prayer. And I pray that God prompts you to be thinking about what happens eight weeks from now when we have Love Week. What, what will God be challenging you to do? And who will you be doing it with as we hit the streets with these shirts and we love people? It's the center of the mark. Let me pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I pray you'd help us. God, help remove the selfishness in me, the unwilling to sacrifice part in me, and put your Holy Spirit and replace it with a selfless, willing, sacrificial heart that just oozes out love. And then, God, I pray that it would happen. Somebody would come and, and want to know what the, the hope it is that I have. Why are you different? I can tell you why. Jesus. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.